Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Risk assets bounced back in the first quarter of 2023, but returns did not come without volatility. Equity markets seem to be leaning more towards an easing scenario later in the year, whereas rate markets are more skeptical around the path forward. This continued uncertainty has encouraged investors to seek out new forms of diversification and strategies which are better equipped to navigate a potentially bumpy road. Joining us today to talk about one of Fidelity Canada's equity long-short offerings is David Way, Portfolio Manager of Fidelity Long-Short Alternative Fund. David joins host Rory Poole, Director Alternatives, and shares that the two sleeves of his portfolio, long and short, come together to generate a portfolio that really does not rely on the use of additional leverage. The fund does not contain any financial leverage beyond what's generated by shorting stocks, generating cash, and investing more in Fidelity's best long ideas. David focuses on opportunities where he feels there is material mispricing because of uncertainty in the market. Also, he is valuation sensitive, but willing to invest in companies at higher valuations if they show strong and durable growth. All of this and more today. Enjoy. Today's podcast was recorded on April 6th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. I'm wondering if we can start by talking a little bit about your background and career path and how that's kind of shaped how you invest. I feel like there's always lines that can be drawn between a portfolio manager's personal or professional past and how that kind of shapes their MO as an investor. Yeah, I think there's really three things that are relevant to my background. The first is I started actually in a strategy and operations background, working inside businesses, learning sort of what made businesses successful or fail in different scenarios. Um, And I think that provides me with a really helpful insight into how companies and stocks work uh, that might differentiate how I look at things uh, versus other market participants. The second thing, and it's really core to what Fidelity does um, here at Toronto, is that I spent about a decade as a dedicated research analyst covering different parts of the market for meaningful amounts of time. So before I became a diversified fund manager, I got to learn and focus on and really immerse myself um, into the individual sectors that make up the total market. And then the third thing is that I spent um, the latter part of my analyst career thinking about my investment philosophy, uh, learning from portfolio managers with different approaches, different style biases, and effectively copying the things that I thought could really work for me um, in developing my own style. And then really what brought me to this fund was, as an analyst, I showed a special aptitude in being able to uh, short stocks or come up with sell ratings on companies that were set to underperform. And so I really wanted a product that could help me generate um, positive investment outcomes for clients using that unique skill. Bit of a jack of all trades to a degree. That's right. I think it's really important to understand who you are. And in my case, I think one of my greatest strengths is that I'm a flexible investor and 
can look where the market's giving opportunities and really take advantage of widening the opportunity set. Let's talk about the Fidelity Long Short Alternative Fund. Um, and I think we can pull up a slide to help with that. Maybe just go over some of the kind of parameters or the structure of the product, maybe what you're looking to accomplish for investors. This is a mandate that you've been running for the better part of about three and a half years between the seeded fund and mm -hmm. the now live version. Uh, so let's talk about the structure to get things started. Sure. So the most important thing to know about the Fidelity Long Short Fund is that it is um, an equity. It's designed to create um, generate equity like returns over time. And so the target beta of the fund is anywhere between zero and one. Um, and I've generally run the fund uh, between 0.8 and 0.9. There have been periods of times where it's been higher or lower, but this is definitely something that fits in the sort of core of an equity portfolio for clients. The two main pieces of the fund um, is the long portfolio and the short portfolio. The long portfolio comprises in general 50 to 60 high conviction names that we as a firm um, and as our analyst team and me as a portfolio manager believe are really set to deliver strong returns versus the market. Um, and on the short side, which is the second part, that comprises 30 to 40 stocks, uh, more diversified in nature because in the short portfolio, risk management comes first. Um, and second is really in increasing the opportunity set for generating alpha. And the two funds, uh, the two sleeves come together to generate a, a portfolio that can um, you know, really does not rely on the use of additional leverage. I think that's a really important point. Um, the fund does not contain any financial leverage beyond what's generated by shorting stocks, generating cash, and investing more in Fidelity's best long ideas. How does your management style compared to other Fidelity funds, in particular some of our other liquid alternatives, but I think your synopsis of that, more of a diversified approach, more of a capital appreciation oriented product, um, but utilizing these additional features mm -hmm. through both the ability to, to long, short, control, gross net exposure, uh, you name it, helps differentiate you not only from, from peers that are running conventional strategies, but also those that are running liquid alternatives. Let's start talking about what's happening these days. Maybe we can get into your thoughts on kind of what's going on in the market right now, how you're navigating the current climate. As I mentioned at the beginning, markets kind of snapped back to start 2023 uh, after a very tough year last year, but there was no shortage of excitement, um, that's for sure, throughout the last kind of six to 12 months. Uh, absolutely. And you know, as I mentioned, I'm a, a flexible investor, so I'm always looking on a bottoms up basis, finding companies that can provide uh, the best opportunities. And obviously where the good opportunities have been over the last six months has really shifted. And it's really important for me trying to deliver you know, a consistent fund experience to try to use my skills to identify where the best place in the market to be is. And even though I'm a bottom-up investor, you have to be macro aware. And I think if you look at you know, other podcasts or presentations I've done, I've kind of been in the higher for longer camp, um, but really where the opportunity on a bottom-up basis is there are sectors that have priced in a tougher higher for longer, inflation reduction, higher interest rate environment, and that's priced in. And as we look ahead, there may actually be relief ahead for some of those companies, and those are presenting pretty good risk reward opportunities on the long side. And on the short side, there are stocks that you know might be pricing in a different interest rate outcome. And 
it's really important for me to be able to, on the short side, take advantage of those opportunities and perhaps take short positions in those companies. So what you end up with in the portfolio overall is you don't end up with you know, a large macro bet. I'm really looking on a bottom-up basis, being macro aware, and really trying to focus on the opportunities where I think there's material mispricing. Because there is a lot of uncertainty in the market, and I think that's really exciting as a bottom-up investor because it creates an opportunity uh, during this period of sort of price discovery where you can identify um, undervalued securities to go long and overpriced securities to go short. With all these tools that you have at your disposal, like would you kind of characterize yourself in this environment being conservative, somewhere in the middle, a little bit more aggressive? Is it stock by stock? Andrew Marchese, our, our chief investment officer, uh, has talked, I know, over the course of the past six to 12 months about the team's thoughts around selectively adding risk, <laughs> meaning that there's securities to buy out there that are cheap, um, but at the same time, there's a lot of stuff to be concerned about, which you've kind of alluded to. Um, how would you, in, in a very simple sense, uh, kind of explain your positioning in, in this yeah. current environment? Well, I think, um, you know, as of the last disclosure, the fund was trending towards the lower end of its net exposure in terms of, you know, longs minus shorts, uh, you know, in the sort of like high 70% range, I believe. And sort of that's like a lower net exposure for me. And so I think it does reflect at the portfolio construction level, a little bit of conservatism and uncertainty about the path of equity markets in the very near term. But it's really important to understand with this product, I get a lot of flexibility. I have an opportunity to be conservative at the portfolio level and take advantage of opportunities at the individual stock level. Yeah, no, great answer in that sense. And I think it uh, is certainly something that a lot of investors out there look for, which is, I mean, how can I seek out a manager who has those added capabilities and that active uh, approach towards investing where they can potentially generate that alpha, but do so in a way that's a little bit more conducive to an experience that keeps me invested over a, a period of time. Um, I wonder if we can talk about some concurrent stuff in terms of events. Uh, I mean, there's a long list, but I'll, I'll try and pick two uh, to keep things straightforward. Obviously, we've seen a lot of instability um, within the banking sector globally, but more specifically in the US over the course of the past couple of months. Um, I know you don't necessarily have a lot of direct exposure to those companies, but have those events brought on a little bit of a different way of thinking about banks, broadly speaking, um, or whether there's been any ripple effects that you potentially see in other areas of the market that you're look, looking to potentially take advantage of? Yeah, I think if we if we really like zoom in and think about the U.S. regional bank situation, which is really driving a lot of the volatility in the in the banking systems globally, uh, as of the the last disclosure, you know the only real exposure the fund had was a small um, short position in, in one of the regional banks. And as I look more broadly, I think what the situation does is it adds to sort of the credit tightening cycle. Um, in particular for those industries where U.S. regional banks are really important. And, you know, one of the things that does stick out is commercial real estate, um, which is an area of uncertainty today, but also opportunity. So for me, it's generally been a, avoiding the more vulnerable parts of commercial real estate um, and really trying to identify companies that have faced, you know, a little bit too much pressure on their share prices as we kind of go through this period. Um, and looking for those 
those stocks that over a one to two year basis um, are not directly exposed to the you know the near term risk, um, but have upside opportunity as the market potentially goes through a trough and into recovery. Canadian budget, something that was announced a couple weeks ago, I believe two weeks ago now. I'm, I'm just curious yeah. if there's kind of any elements of that release that you took out your highlighter and said, hey, that's something that I need to pay attention to or whether it impacted any of the, the stocks that you either currently own or are shorting. I think at a high level, I, I think the budget contained few surprises for um, the economy more broadly and you know, the, the bank tax will have a small earnings impact on the, the larger Canadian banks, at least mechanically. And um, in particular, there was one um, short um, that was disclosed at the, the end of the last quarter uh, called Go Easy. It's um, a, a payday lender. Um, some people would call it a predatory lender. Um, the interest rates they charge are quite high. And the federal government came out and put a near-term cap on interest rates um, well below the previous maximum with a plan of further uh, reducing the um, cap that people can charge on interest rates. And uh, GoEasy shares had a, a quite a strong and negative response to that news. So not a lot, but at the same time, I mean, there's always something as it relates Absolutely. to what you're doing. Yep. Do you have a general focus when it comes to growth versus value? So the short answer is no. So there are periods of time where I may oscillate between those two poles. Um, what I'm really looking for are companies um, that have, you know, strong business models or a really compelling valuation opportunity or a stock controversy or you know we might call it a variant perception where we feel like we understand the parameters around how a company is going to perform over the next one to two years that the market misunderstands. So I would say in general, um, I am valuation sensitive, um, but I am willing to invest in companies at higher valuations if they have you know, really strong and durable growth. Um, I probably stay clear of uh, what would be more speculative industries on the long side. You know, company generally for me needs to generate cash flow, needs to have mm-hmm. strong current unit economics, not just the promise of great unit economics in the future. And on the value side, um, I generally am looking for a catalyst for for things to get better and. Um, that generally is where I will play in the value arena, where a company is trading at you know, a discounted valuation. Perhaps it's a good company trading or operating in a, a challenging um, kind of special environment that I think will return to normal and the company's true business will recover. Um, in general, I'm very shy around companies that might be valued because they traded a, a low valuation, but have weak balance sheets. In terms of, I mean, that's likely applicable to both the long portfolio as well as the short portfolio. And if we were to look at things from a stylistic standpoint, I think it's fair to say based on what you were mentioning at the beginning that more often than not, it is pretty well diversified. Like there is some skew here and there, um, but given the kind of goals associated with your product and again, the whole jack of all trades thing, I think it lends itself well to being a uh, a pretty well-versed product in that sense. Um, market cap, is do you is there any particulars in terms of where you find to be a bit of a sweet spot? Does the fund have flexibility in that sense? Can you talk about that? Yeah, the fund has a lot of flexibility in general. So the two the two benchmarks that the fund uh, is benchmarked against are the S and P five hundred and the TSX. 
um, composite index. My experience over time has been that the average market cap of my holdings have been about 50% of the overall benchmark level. And for me, it really reflects a bias towards companies that can grow faster than GDP. So there's lots of larger companies that have the ability through pricing, new markets, um, whatever the drivers are to grow faster than sort of the overall economy. But to me, like the most special company is a, you know, relatively underfollowed um, mid cap business. So this is a real business. Perhaps they have thousands of employees. Um, they have current profitability and they operate in a sector of the market um, where they're um, growing their share of whatever their end consumer's wallet is or introducing new products or expanding geographically, where you have pretty concrete line of sight to really strong growth over the medium term. And you know, if I look over time, a lot of my you know, attribution in terms of what my strongest performers have been, have been operating in this area of you know, real businesses that could graduate from the small and mid cap indices to the large and become a large cap company within you know, a few years. And it is, I'm assuming that kind of the resources that you have at your disposal here, analyst group um, or anything outside of that for that matter, uh, your colleagues as portfolio managers helps in looking at those less efficient areas and finding those opportunities in order to kind of really drive, as, yeah. as you alluded to, alpha over time. Yeah, we have, we have more people covering more stocks um, than our competitors. And we also have dedicated small cap teams that can really you know, zero in on a, a sub-industry that portfolio managers identify as being interesting. And so we have the ability to really cover um, and have our eyes on you know, sort of all pieces of the, the capitalization structure. I wanna go back to short selling a little bit, um, just more generally talking about the climate. 2022 was the year where a lot of stuff went down, um, in many cases uh, for, for the right and, and rational reasons, uh, but we've entered a, a new year this year. And while there's some things that have changed, there's also a lot that hasn't. How do you kind of see the, the short selling environment, if you will, and how it's migrated from last year into this year? You alluded to the fact that um, we're in a different spot than we were six months ago, very much applicable with respect to how you're managing the portfolio. Um, but do you have any high level comments? And then beneath that, I mean, are there any particular sectors, types of businesses that either have peaked or no longer peak your interest from a short standpoint? Yeah, 2022 was really an extension of the end of 2021. We really saw a transition from um, growth to value. Um, and we saw in a lot of sectors, particularly as we got towards the end of 2022, a recognition that there were a number of um, stocks out there representing companies that may have showed tremendous growth, um, whether in technology or outside technology. Um, that were unlikely to generate positive unit economics in the medium term. These were companies that were unlikely to generate sustainable earnings and cash flow over the medium term. And we saw you know, significant pressure um, on those stocks towards the end of the year. And so you know, things that that might be like a company like Beyond Meat, which was a great um, you know, growth company for many years. It grew Disruptor. its revenues, yeah. disrupting the sort of uh, protein, animal protein market. And we saw the growth really stall. Uh, we saw margin pressures and 
you know, that was a stock that, you know, fared very poorly in the month of December, along with a lot of other stocks like that. So as a short seller, what that means is we're constantly looking at uh, risk and reward. And, you know, we have price targets in mind, but what we're really looking for is, you know, when does the risk reward of the stock start to skew at least neutrally? And so there was a lot of turnover in the short portfolio in December um, as I repositioned towards areas of the market that I thought had, you know, more, uh, too much optimism in and where we could see a similar reversal. And so, you know, some of the larger cap industrial machinery names um, became shorts in the fund. And that really reflects a period where there's been a lot of shortages. They've been able to raise prices. Demand's been good. But as we face down the specter of what I think is, you know, likely a recession, you know, these are companies that, you know, perhaps there's too much optimism in. And, you know, circling back to my earlier comments, there are subsectors of the market that are still pricing in a, you know, and everything is going to be okay and we're probably going to avoid a recession. And it's a real opportunity to be able to short those stocks because I can balance that against going long companies where a recession I feel is already priced in. So depending on what happens in the real economy, I think there are still ways to win in public equities. Yeah, and it sounds like there's a lot more with this product, a lot more freedom as you do go through certain parts of the cycle to kind of readjust. And by the way, I've never had a Beyond Meat burger, so I'll rely on your opinion for how they actually taste, let alone the company itself. Um, but, Some people uh, like them. They're, <laughs> many people, including me, feel like they're salty and okay. uh, don't reflect real food. Fair enough. Um, a, a little bit more talking about real estate. You mentioned it earlier, but I know that like that's a sector that has been for you in the past an interesting area in terms of investing. And so uh, if you want to expand a little bit about how you approach that yep. space or what you typically like or look for with respect to that space, I think that um, that will go go nicely with what you're talking yep. about earlier. So I'm unemotional about stock. So I can love a company and sell the stock, um, but I do tend to love um, certain types of businesses within real estate. And uh, I generally do not invest the fund to maximize yield. Like this fund does not replace a portfolio of, um, you know, dividend funds or dividend paying securities. I believe my yield is about half of that of the market. Um, so when I do invest in real estate, I'm looking for one of two things. I'm looking for a company that's trading at a meaningful discount to its net asset value, where I think the net asset value is still preserved and can go back to normal. A historical example of that would be investing in mall REITs um, during the depths of COVID with the belief that they would be able to retain most of their net asset value, which uh, proved to be the case. Um, the second area that I look for is companies that can grow faster than the market expects. And the real estate um, sector is a specialist market. There's a lot of real estate dedicated investors and they tend to crowd into the most favorable companies over time. And so in general, I don't own the best REITs because they tend to be the most expensive and mm -hmm. have the lowest prospective returns. But when you go through a period like we've been through of higher interest rates um, and concern about the sector, you start to see those really high quality companies um, start to be, move into a more attractive valuation. And there's lots of companies that are really feeling the pain of higher interest rates. And I do think those companies are going to face some challenges over the next couple of years. But there are other companies that have very strong fundamentals where demand's growing faster than they can build that type of real estate and where rents are growing faster than 
higher interest costs are, are impacting the company's bottom line. So there are a bunch of real estate companies out there that can grow their earnings and cash flows over the next two to three years and really kind of power through this interest rate environment. And so I'm, I have been um, you know, excited by some opportunities um, in that space where I have really high confidence. I think you know, one area of the market that remains challenged is office. You, know, you see a lot of headlines sure. about vacancy being 20% or close to it. And in my mind, um, when we've seen that in the past, we're looking at a 10 year to recovery type environment. So anything can happen, but that area in particular may be challenged. So it sounds like you take a bit of a special situation style of approach towards that sector, um, which is interesting because as you said, it's a lot different than investing in REITs for the purposes of, of clipping yield, which there's nothing wrong with, but um, that's what makes your product, I think, a little bit different. Yeah, it's being, an, it's being an outsider with having an insider's perspective. And I think when you look at my overall background, I think that's what helps me invest in the market where I've worked inside businesses, so yeah. I know how um, things work. But as a stock market investor, I'm able to take an outsider's perspective and see what other people are missing. We're counting down the minutes that we have left here, but I do want to get to just your perspective on um, who this fund is potentially for. I think we've we've hinted on some notes of it. How can it potentially help investors in today's environment as we've talked about? What are what are your thoughts with respect to that? So I think my own personal situation is probably not the, the right solution for everyone. So I have 100% of my own um, net assets invested in this fund. Um, my son has autism and we're really trying to, as a family, create as much resources for him as possible. And I'm excited over time for the capital appreciation that should come in the market with innovation. Like we didn't talk about AI, but there's gonna be a lot of new opportunities opening mm-hmm. up for people. Um, so I do think this fund fits in as a, an, as a complement to an equity portfolio, to dividend paying securities, where you can get a different exposure. When I talk about you know looking at mid caps with um, medium-term growth opportunities, special situations. You know, this gives you a different equity exposure than what might be in the, the rest of your core portfolio. Um, and so I think it fits n- nicely in. It's a diversifier. Um, and over time, I think it will enhance returns. Yeah, so, I, I agree. And I think that myself, like looking at liquid alternative options in Canada, this highlights the fact that there are so many different types of products out there. And it doesn't necessarily mean that one profile or another uh, can't benefit an investor's experience or holistic approach towards constructing their own portfolio uh, over over time. Um, Dave, I, I'm as I said, we're we're pretty close to to close here, but I wanted to leave the floor to you to any kind of last comments to folks that are tuning in with with us today um, as it relates to to your approach or in terms of what you think they need to take away from this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the first thing I'd like to say is, you know, thanks for tuning in. And the second thing is just to emphasize with this product, the real focus is on risk management. So people hear shorting and they think risk. And I think the real important thing to understand is that I use shorting in the portfolio, yes, to enhance returns, but most importantly, to manage the overall risk profile of the fund. And I think if you look at you know, what I've set out for this fund to achieve over time and what unit holders have experienced in the fund, I think you'll find there's a great consistency between those two things. That's a great place to end. And I wanna thank everyone for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. 
If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.